Welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scotch Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello! In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photo, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does. He's scored! Oh, what a great pass! This week our special guest is Jim Delahunt. Thank you very much for joining us, Jim. Hi there. Nice to be here. Thank you. The magazine we've got to discuss today, it's a shoot magazine um, from the 28th of January 1978. Um, So as we do, we'll start from the the front cover. Um, We've got a, a picture of Joey Jones of Liverpool. And there's mention of a part two of our pull-out FA Cup wall chart. Inside there's also a Pat, the Pat Jennings story. Um, there's a, a team photo, um, which is Hibernian, so that's, that'll be good to look at. The price at the moment is 15 pence. Um, it's available in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Spain, Italy, Denmark and Canada. So I'm guessing a lot of expats would be in those sort of um, places. Noticeable on this front cover, so this particular magazine is obviously came with a free gift. So still sellotape to the front there is the end of a Panini sticker packet. So there would have been a packet for the the first ever UK album, which would have been given away free over the past couple of weeks. So this is, I think, a couple of weeks after you would have got the the, the Panini album free. So there's a little remnant still still at the the front there. So if we go into page two and three, uh, we've got a news desk and it's some little a bunch of short stories, little little articles. I'm going to pick a few out. And the first one is about Meadowbank Thistle. So they soon hope to be fielding two sets of brothers, and they're saying the Hancock brothers, Jim X of Hearts and Steve X Stirling Albion and Sheffield Wednesday have been regular members of the team this season at Meadowbank. But now ex-Hearts David McKenzie hopes to be joined soon by his brother Tom. Uh, I I haven't been able to find much about Tom McKenzie, but I did find about um, Tam McKenzie Sr., who was David and Tom's dad. He'd played for Hearts for 255 times between 42 and 59. So I didn't actually find out if Tom ended up joining his brother there. So... We'll move on to, there's a Cheers forefather. so there's a, a photograph of Archie Knox as well. So he was a player manager at Forfar at the time and he's been presented with a cheque for £100 and a gallon bottle of McKinley's Scotch Whiskey as the Football Personality of the Month for November. Uh, Archie had led Forfar to the semi-final of the League Cup where they met Rangers. The runner-up for November was Partick's, uh, Partick this was Betty Ald who had led his team through the month undefeated, but he actually went on to win the December award. Now, the first ever McKinley's Football Personality of the Month was in September 1976, and it was actually won by Jim McLean of Dundee United, and it's not very often you get the, the personality associated with Jim, which is a bit unfair, I think. 
But also interestingly, and this this could lead on, is the runner up was Clyde Banks, David Cooper. Oh, so, right. Um, and do you know what? Do you know what he did to his his gallon of, his gallon of whiskey? He never he, drank it. He didn't. No, he put them into uh, miniatures and he gave them into the, the the local the local pub. Is that right? There you oh. go. Goodness, Brilliant. the late David Cooper, of course. Yeah. So uh, just a, a little bit on Archie and Ox here. So Archie was born in Teeling in Angus in Scotland in 1947. And he started off as a... Tri- apparently got two trialist games for Alloa before moving to Forfar, uh, where he played between 65 and 1970. And then he moved to St Mirren. Um, he was there for a couple of years. Dundee United after that. And then Montrose. And finally at Forfar, where he was player-manager. Um, he's Most of his... Managing career has actually been as an assistant manager, so I've I've got a big list of teams here: Aberdeen, Dundee, Aberdeen again, Man United, Rangers, Everton, Scotland, Millwall, Coventry, Scotland, Livingston. So I mean, he's he's been pretty much apart from that first bit with um, Forfar that um, he's he's been the assistant. So his only honour as a player was as a runner-up in the nineteen seventy-four uh, Scottish Cup final while with Dundee United. Um, and as an assistant, he won one Cup Winners' Cup, one Super Cup, five Scottish Cups, one FA Cup, six Scottish Premier Divisions, and three League Cups. Of course, Alex Ferguson and Walter Smith, he was most yeah, sort of yeah, closely that, associated yeah. with. Um, he's also, he's in a he's hall, hall of Famer at Aberdeen. He must be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he absolutely deserves that as well. Um, there's... Um, I've I've heard the, this next little article on Eamon Dunphy. Now I've I've heard bits and pieces. You you may be a lot more familiar with Eamon Dunphy. I'm only more familiar with Eamon Dunphy uh, because I spend a lot of time in Ireland these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister-in-law lives over there, and obviously I take my kids over to see her quite a lot. Yeah. And um, Eamon, I haven't seen him recently, but he has become a major media star yeah. in Ireland uh, on RTE. And uh, he's one of the most controversial yeah. pundits you will ever come across in your life. I mean, you think we might have controversial pundits here. We don't, <laughs> guys. We do not. Eamon Dunphy is one of the most controversial football pundits you will ever come across. I mean, some of the times I've seen him on TV in Ireland with the, uh, the likes of Liam Brady and uh, Johnny Giles is just, honestly, it's it's golden TV. It really yeah. is. I think certainly that the first I became aware of him was about this idea of you know, the, being a controversial uh, person. But obviously he had a football career to begin with. He was at York City, spent most of his time with Millwall and um, then with Charlton, Reading and Shamrock Rovers. And he's actually got 23 uh, Republic Island caps as well. Now, the article itself... Did he ever uh, get to Man, U? Man United? No, no. no, he never did. Um, the article um, talks about Omar Melwall, so he was 12 years at Melwall, and then he wrote a book about his experiences there, and he turned down an invitation to take over his manager at Melwall. So Dunphy, who's on, at the time of this, he's on Johnny Giles' staff at Sham- Shamrock Rovers, claimed he was approached by the directors of the club uh, to manage at Melwall, but he re- rejected the invitation because of his commitment to Shamrock Rovers. So who knew back then that he was going to turn into the, you know, Chris Sutton on steroids? <laughs> he goes through Roy Keane's first autobiography as well. I think he did, yeah. Yes, yeah. Right. I think Keane sort of blamed him for some of the most controversial <laughs> parts of his book. <laughs> you wouldn't want to get a fight with them two, I'm guessing. I wouldn't have thought so. Yeah. So there's a John McSeveny, there's an article on him. And so John has resigned as manager of League of Club 
League of Ireland club Waterford with his family still living in Barnsley he felt he had to return to England now he says I can no longer continue to put my job first and my family second so, so John was actually from Scotland he was a winger he was born in Shots and he started off at Hamilton Ackies in um, 1948 to 1951 uh, then he moved on to Sunderland Cardiff City Newport County and Hull City as well he had a bit of a managerial career at Barnsley, Home Farm, Nottingham Forest. He was assistant there between 74 and 75. And then he had a couple of years at Waterford. And I've actually got him as having... Um, no, I don't. I've, no, I thought he had a Scotland cap there, but I was looking at something else. So it's not a name not a name I've really heard no. of, John McSeveny. New one on me. Yeah, but... Um, I'm sure like uh, Stuart Weir who's been on the podcast before would know all about this him being a, a Hamilton Ackies fan irrespective of what everybody else says about him um, so Derek Parlane well there's a little article about him so apparently several top English clubs including Derby County and QPR have been chasing Rangers 23 year old striker Derek Parlane and the rumour has it that the club is prepared to listen to offers so Derek was with Rangers from 71 until 1980 before moving to Leeds United in March 1980. So I'm guessing Rangers weren't prepared to listen to offers after all. I mean, this is back in 78, so he's, he spent another couple of years here. Um, and looking at his, his CV, so between 71 and 80, he was at Rangers, moved to Leeds United, then went to Hong Kong, a team called Bulova. You know, there's so many of these teams I've never heard of. I don't know if they're even still existing. He had a spell at Man City, Swansea City. Then he went to Belgium, Racing Jet, another team that, yeah, nothing here. Rochdale, Airdrie, Macclesfield Town, and finished off at Cousin Ashton, which I think is near Manchester. Um, and he got five under-23 caps and two Scottish League 11 caps. Uh, and he also got 12, 12 full caps uh, between 73 and 77, scoring a goal, and one Scotland under 21 cap. So that was Derek Parlane, who at the time I think Shoot were thinking he was on the way out of Rangers. There's a little article on Eric Caldo as well, former Rangers and Scotland captain. Uh, he's returned home to his native Cumnock in Ayrshire to manage his local junior team. After he retired from the playing side, he spell, had spells um, with Corby Town and Stranraer and spent three years between 1970 and 73 managing Hullford United. Um, and interestingly, he was never booked in more than 500 senior appearances. I don't think that will ever happen again, will it? Lineker. Lineker was never booked, was he? Well, did he ever get Did he get booked in no. Japan? No, I don't think he got booked. No, he's the modern-day Eric Caldo. <laughs> I bet he's never been called that before. <laughs> Possibly not. Uh, there's uh, a little story about civil service strollers, which is okay for me to say. Um, civil, civil service strollers versus Selkirk. Okay, um, and it says, Many club managers are complaining of poor gates, but none can match the turnout in Edinburgh of the Scottish Cup first round tie between civil service strollers and Selkirk. Only 70 people stood around the touchlines to see civil service win 4-3. Four th- four to go through and face Inverness Caledonian in the next round, which Inverness eventually won 4-0. So there's quite a, there's other ones in here which we're going to go into, but, but already mm. we're on to page two and three, and 
noticeable. There's, there's a lot of Scottish content yeah. in here, which is is always great. Um, it is one of the things I have noticed about the magazines, and it probably goes up to the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, and then the amount of Scottish content, you could, I suppose, tie it into the, the rise of the, the Premier League coming on the scene as well. But it starts dwindling, um, and maybe that's a, a mirror of how the Scottish fortunes were, you know, the, the, the talent coming through yeah. as well. I, th- I think, that, I mean, the magazine you've selected, 1978... Uh, I don't mind admitting I was 16, mm-hmm. but I was probably still reading the shoot at that point. Yeah. Uh, I remember getting the shoot when I was 10, 11, 12, and we used to, I, I was brought up in Sulcoats, and uh, we had what we called a, a folder at the yeah. local newsagent, and you'd get in a Saturday morning and say, can I have my folder, and it would be the papers that you had ordered all during the week that you hadn't picked up, and you would get them. Right. One, of the, one of the magazines was the shoot, we get the Victor comic and the Hotspur and all the rest of mm-hmm. it. And uh, one of the magazines was a shoot, and I always remember the columnists like Gordon Hill, who's in this particular edition, mm. Manchester United winger. Uh, John Gregg had a column yeah. in it. I, remember, I think Derek Johnson had a Derek column Johnson in it at various times. Talk, you know? yeah. uh, so there was a lot of Scottish content in the in the paper, and even this one you've picked out, apart from the stories that you've mentioned, um, there's, a, there's a story there about Huey Sproat, the yeah. United goalkeeper, about his trip to Argentina. Uh, for this particular year, 1978, and maybe mm. not a Scottish context, but a Scottish connection, Mick yeah. Shannon. Yeah. Uh, Mick Shannon, who really was the hammer of the Scots <laughs> back in the day, he scored plenty of goals against Scotland, including two at Hamden, if I remember, in the 5 1 or 5 0. He really was a pain in our side. And yeah, I remember. We, we don't pick those. those no, you don't pick those, there. but I'll, t- I'll tell you a Mick Shannon story because he's now a racehorse trainer and a very right. successful racehorse trainer. And uh, when I was working on Scotsport, or I suppose it would be the baby Scotsport, it would be Scotsport Extra Time, which used to go out on a Saturday lunchtime. And I phoned Mick Shannon and said, can I come and do a piece about scoring goals for England against Scotland? And he said, well, I'm going to York Races. I said, well, I'll meet you halfway, because he, he would train down at West Islay. And uh, I said, right, I'll come to York Races, which suited me, because I'm a racing man. So uh, I phoned him the day before. I said, you still coming? Yeah, I'll be there. Oh, um, he said... Uh, have you got a room booked? I said, yep. He said, I haven't. I said, you're a massive trainer. You train <laughs> for the Queen and all that. He said, I can't get a room. I said, right, I'll sort you out. So I kicked my cameraman out of his room <laughs> and gave Mick Shannon his room and we got the interview and it went out for about 20 minutes on the Saturday lunchtime. So that was my Mick Shannon experience many years ago. He was a good it, lad, gave us some great tales. Is your cameraman forgiving you yet? Ah, he's still, still sleeping outside. <laughs> <suits him fine. laughs> so, Jim, so where did you begin your journalism career? Uh, I actually did a degree in business uh, at what is now Glasgow Caledonian. It was it was the tech back then. Uh, I did a four year degree, a BA uh, business studies, and then I went to, I went full time on a paper called the Kilmarnock Free Press, which I think is now the leader. Um, and then from there I went on to local radio, West Sound Radio. Right. Uh, I then went back into papers with a paper called the Daily Winner which was a sort of horses, dogs and football paper that came out um, 1988. Uh, we only lasted, I think we lasted 53 editions and then it's we went bust. promising a lot with that name though, isn't it? Yeah, well, the Daily Winner was the Daily Loser in the end, <laughs> but we, we started at the same time as Eddie Shaw started a paper down south and I think he lasted 36 editions and we lasted 53. Uh, Bill Leckie of The Sun, he was, mm-hmm. he was one of my, I was the editor, he was one of my reporters. Um, he was a great writer even then as a young lad and uh, the, the Daily Winner that was that was a good experience I went, went to Radio Clyde as a news editor after that 
covered the Lockerbie disaster and stuff like that. And then I went on to went on STV as a producer. And uh, once I was on STV as a producer, I went on screen and um, started getting back into the sport and the football. And that, that's really how it took off. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. So just um, picking up on the, the Hughes sport, um, art, the, the little article there. So he plans to fly to Argentina. So as you say, this is back in 78 to watch Scotland in the World Cup finals. But he's only going on a one-way ticket. He then intends to hitch lifts back to Britain, but not just yeah. via Canada. Do you get the impression Huey hadn't thought of this? I, I, <laughs> I really I hadn't worked it out. I get the impression that he didn't really care. Mm. And, and, you know, it was like, he probably hadn't thought of it because he just thought, I'm living in the moment. Um, I'd love to have known what the, the team were Air United, you know, would, well, it wouldn't have been Alan McLeod at that point, but he would have thought of this. So, But he says, yeah, we're going to come home via Canada. And he says, I'll be going with a pal who wants to see relatives in Canada after the finals. Hitching up through South and North America and then getting back to Britain from there is the best way even though it's 4,000 miles. Yeah. I'm like, what, why is it the best way? Mm. Surely getting a flight. And back in it, just one of the other wee stories, which I think, you know, is a lot of people know about, was this story about um, there was these people who were going to hire a submarine. Yeah. you know about that one? Um, and I, I remember s- that one. I would so love that to be made into a, a movie or something, or a, you know, a made-for-TV Scottish show. And you can just imagine them, everything they're going through and their trip and, you know, it would it would be an absolute comedy gold, if you ask me. But I don't think it ever came to fruition. I don't there, think... There were stories about guys who got there on steamboats and things like that and mm. one of them, was even one on TV recently who met his wife yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, I think there's, there's lots of little tales like that where they never come home or they, they did. Astonishing. It's, it's absolutely amazing. I've been in a few trips where some of the boys never... Didn't really want to come home, but we'll better <laughs> leave that one aside. Yeah. So Hugh, he started his youth in Auchinleck Talbot um, with them. Um, Air United from 74 to 79. Um, then he was at Motherwell between 79 and 84, then went back to Air United. Now, I've heard from a number of people that he would famously whenever the they were playing against yeah, Celtic they would be wearing his blue top and whenever he played against Rangers he'd wear his green top mm. so he's obviously a bit of a character is a Hugh Sprott um, and again I think we're still on the page here and it's Harvey for the high jump and it's about David Harvey who we've spoke about in previous um, previous podcasts he says there's no doubt that Leeds United and Scotland international star David Harvey can jump higher than any other keeper The Leeds-born star likes nothing better than riding his horse a few miles from his home. He hopes to re-establish himself as a regular for Leeds and win a place in Scotland's World Cup squad for Argentina. As we know, he he didn't make the squad. It was Bobby Clark, Jim Blythe and Alan Ruff who who made that. Um, We've we've went into um, David before, um, but just touch on again the fact that when he retired, he became a postman. And he then, in 1994, he moved to uh, Island of Sandy in the Orkney Islands. Uh-huh. And he worked as a postman again there. Which is um, intriguing in itself because Peter Benetti yeah. became a postman, postman on Mull. Yeah. 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 England but goalkeeper. The, the reason that I've, I've seen mentioned for that is because they, they liken the, the banter and the, the camaraderie in the post office with the dressing rooms, which mm. makes sense. They yeah. just want to get that buzz back again. Um, so we're on to how to carry on collecting. So just in the bottom right-hand corner there, I think it is the 
the article relates to the, the free gift on the, the cover that we spoke about, the Panini stickers, and it says, The great free gifts that Shoot has presented in the last two weeks form the basis for a superb collection that every soccer fan will want to complete. And here's how. So the album and stickers are now available through the UK and Republic Ireland and local news agents and branches of W. H. Smith and John Menzies. The album costs 10 pence and the stickers are 5 pence for a packet of six. Should you have difficulty getting supplies, Shoot provides the address to write to and stresses in capitals. Do not write to Shoot. It's fascinating there. I'm, the album, uh, in fact, I've, I've, I've got a couple albums here. I've, I forgot I had them. So these are for the year after. So I can have a wee look through some of those. But, you know, even the empty album, which would have been given away free in, in Shoot, it's, it's quite substantial. So if you're buying it, you're buying that for twice the packet, twice the, the cost of a packet of stickers. It's, I mean, it just seems a real bargain. It's either a bargain for the album or it's really expensive for the stickers, but I don't think five pence is, is too much to ask. So how does it feel having that in your hands there, Jim? It's, uh, I, I certainly remember having them. Uh, mm. I, unlike you, I haven't kept them, but uh, I certainly remember having them. And, and you're right, they're, I mean, compared to the quality of the, the Panini sticker albums you get now, they're actually superb. Yeah. Um, really substantial, plenty of information there. And uh, even the, the little badges for the, for the clubs, um, qual- quality stickers as well. No, that yeah. brings back the memories. Yeah. It certainly does. Good stuff. So what's your, what's your memories actually of collecting them at the time? Uh, at the time, I mean, I, th- I think I was like everybody else at the time. I was just into football, full stop. I, I, I mean, I've, I've got teenagers at the moment, and yeah, my my my, my lad is into football. He's a he's a St. Mirren fan. He's a Liverpool fan. His bedroom would tell you that. Yeah. Um, but he's not into the football in the same way as we were as kids. I mean, I, I played football morning, noon, and night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went out in the morning before school. You played it all through school. You played it at night when you came back. And uh, as I got older, I I mean, the reason I never went to many games when I was a kid was because I played all the yeah. time. Uh, from from under twelve right up to under nineteen, I was I was playing. I mean, when I was at this age at nineteen seventy eight, I'd be playing school in the morning, amateur in the afternoon, pub in a Sunday morning. So you're playing three ninety minutes every weekend, and yeah, you thought yeah. nothing of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely nothing of it. And if you were if you weren't fit for one of those three, you were absolutely gutted. Yeah. Um, so no, the, I mean for for me it was it was football all the way. I mean I later developed a, a huge interest in horse racing, which I have to this day as well. well when um, did that when did that start the horse racing thing? Horse racing again round about this time. Uh, I was sixteen. My twin sisters would have been nine, mm-hmm. uh, and my dad uh, asked me if I would take my twin sisters to horse riding lessons. Right. And one turned out to be alleg- allergic to horses. <laughs> one absolutely hated it, and I carried on. Right. And from 16 to 41, I rode various degrees of horses. And uh, I mean, I rode race horses right up till I was 41. Really? Um, I had a jockey's license for seven years. Um, I competed. In, I, I mean, the license allowed you to go around the country and ride on gallops and stuff like that. But I mean, I managed to get a few rides on the mm. track as well. I had 13 races, finished third twice, never won. But it was a huge experience and it's been fantastic for. Another aspect of my life, which is racing journalism, mm-hmm. uh, and to have actually ridden in the races um, and been in the jockey's changing room and all the rest of it, it's just huge experience for me, and I would never have swapped it. Mm-hmm. It's, I, again, it's something I, I'm, I'm still hugely involved in. I'm now an owner. Um, I've got shares and horses uh, with, in my opinion, the best trainer in Britain, Mark Johnson, mm-hmm. who's a Scot who trains in Midland. Um, 
and uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a huge part of my life. And well, it certainly seems as football it's still is as well. Passion. You know? Is it? It certainly is right? a passion. Yeah. 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 Is it? Would you say it's your main passion? Uh, it is now. Yeah. It is now. Yeah. 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 Uh, definitely now. The, the, ho- the horse racing is the main thing for me. And what was what's the feeling like being on being on the horse in the, uh, in the race? In, in a race, I, I, I don't think you can swap it. I mean, obviously, I never played. I only played amateur football. Yeah. Never played professional. I'm sure there's a huge buzz going out uh, to play a professional football match. But to actually go out and compete in a race with a commentator and a crowd and all the rest of it is is quite something. What's the relationship between you and the, the horse? Uh, a, a lot of people will say the jockeys are just sitting on the horse and the horse does all the work. But one, you don't get a license if you can't ride, and uh, two. I think there's a, there's the jockey. I would say plays a massive part, particularly on a racehorse, and it's not just all about the whip. It's about your legs and your arms and your hands and your balance and your weight distribution, um, and that's something you learn over a period of time. I mean, when I first sat on a racehorse, sitting on a racehorse to sitting on the horses that I was used to riding was like getting into a, a Formula One car. <laughs> it was totally different. I mean, you, when you're sitting on a racehorse, you have no idea what that horse is going to do next. You can be the best jockey in the world and you have no idea what that horse is going to do next. And you just have to be as aware as you possibly can. I mean, I remember uh, I was riding a gallop down the air one day and a very reliable horse. I'd never seen it falling with anybody else on it. I'd never seen anybody falling off it. And we were going round a bend. I would say we weren't even at full speed, probably three quarter speed, so probably about 25 to 28 mile an hour. And the horse just dropped its left shoulder. And when, when it does that, there's nothing you can do. And I just went straight out the side door, landed on my right hip, and to this day I have trouble getting out of bed in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's 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 a it's a difficult job. I was only amateur, thank goodness, but uh, it was a great experience for me. And I only stopped it because the back got too sore, uh, or else I'd still be doing it. Yeah. You know, but I had to keep my weight down. I mean, I'm, I'm naturally five eleven, five foot eleven. Right now, I'd be about 12 stone 10, mm. but I was riding at 9 stone 10, so that's 3 stone lighter than I am just now. Yeah. And I don't consider myself overweight, <laughs> uh, so it was it was quite a struggle to keep the weight down, but it was so worth it. It was it was just a fantastic experience. Is it, if, if you're wanting to do that, do you have to constantly be thinking about your weight? About uh, to do it properly, if, if yeah. You're not that, I guess, one, if you're not that one, I mean, if, if you turn up at a racing yard and you're 12 stone 7, we're not going to let you on. <laughs> so, uh, thankfully, I used to I used to ride out about 10 stone 5, which was quite comfortable, and yeah. it was also quite comfortable for the horses. Um, but to, I think the latest I did in a race was 9, 10, and I was very weak. Mm. I was very, very weak, and my tongue actually stuck to the top of my mouth at one point, so mm. there was no liquid in my body whatsoever. Um so that that was quite dangerous, but was that was that because you were pushing yourself? To yeah, I mean, I mean, you you would you would, you would get. I mean, I, I remember. I'll give you a good example. I, I was working nineteen ninety six. I was working down in Birmingham Euro ninety six football championships, mm. and I was I was based at Aston Villa's training ground for ITV Sport. And I got a phone call on a Sunday morning. I think I was watching Belgium training, and I got a phone call on a Sunday morning to say I was riding at Hamilton Park on the Wednesday night. And I said, oh, listen, I'm down here, I'm, I'm struggling a bit with the weight. And uh, the guy said, oh, no, you'll do it. I said, well, what weight is it? And he said, uh, with a saddle, nine stone 12. And I thought, well, that means three pounds saddle, I've got to be nine stone nine. And I said, look, I'll, I'll never do that. I'm 10 seven, I'll never do it. And he said, no, I'll, I'll put you down, you're riding it. <laughs> so this was three days later. So I, I went without food for three days. Mm-hmm. I was drinking black tea for three days. I was putting bin bags on and running around the streets of Birmingham for three <laughs> days and three nights. 
On the day of the race, I completed my work for ITV. I jumped in a hire car. I put the heating on full blast, bin bags on, towels on the seats, drove up the M6, got to Hamilton, opened the door, steam coming out of the car, went into the jockey's changing room, the valet, you, because you were an amateur, they called you mister, the valet said, Mr Delahunt, what way do you have to do? I said, nine stone nine, he says, jump on the scale, I was nine stone eight, he gave me a banana and six chips and <laughs> said, put that in your body and then I went out and rode the race finished fourth, drove back to Birmingham the same night. I mean, it was just madness, but I loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved it. Brilliant. Sounds great. Now, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to go through every single page, but if there's any bit that you want to stop us at, then by all means, let, you know, give us a shout out. So I'm going to miss four and five because it takes a look at the English divisions over the past three, four seasons. And, you know, you could spend a lot of time looking at that and... Probably there's not much a great deal of Scottish stuff that we could look at. So I'm going to move to page eight. So again, a couple, and it's a you are the ref. So as we've spoke about, and we had a podcast specifically devoted to all that stuff. You are the ref is it's drawn scenarios where shoot ask you in this situation if you were the referee, what would you do, or if it would give the, what the referee's decision has been made and ask you if it was correct or not. So I'm just going to look at um, these two. So the first one is, a player kicks a ball when it's dangerously close to your head. We're talking about the referee here. Do you A, take no action, B, award a free kick for dangerous play, or C, caution and award a free kick? Now based on, this is 1978 uh, rules and laws at this time, the answer to me, the answer surprisingly for me is A, take no action. But they actually give some additional details along with this decision. And they say, but use this incident as a warning to keep clear of play. So they're actually criticising the referee for being close to that, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a really a strange take from that. It's like, well, if, you know, nowadays I think it doesn't matter where the referee is. If that boot came in high, you know, you'd probably award a free kick or you would caution the player. You certainly wouldn't say, well, that's your own fault for being there. So that's a strange one. The second one, uh, a player charges a goalkeeper in a fair manner in the penalty area. The keeper pushes the opponent with the ball and the referee gives an indirect free kick in the box. So is that correct or, or not? So again, this is the fact that even but even in 78, charging a goalkeeper was still something that was allowed. Mm. Um, and as we've, as we've touched on before, and a charge would have to, the player who's charging would have to have both feet on the ground and the goalkeeper has to have the ball in his hands in order for a charge to you know th- thankfully I think that that rule is is long gone in the past you can hardly touch the keeper now yeah can you? yeah uh, they, so should say that this is wrong by giving an indirect free kick and it should have been an, a penalty so the fact that the keeper's pushed the opponent with the ball um but I think, as as we've stated there, that it should have been a free kick to begin with. So we're on goal lines below this. So this is a letters page. Um, I'm going to pick a couple out. Uh, first one, it says, Accident. And it's Richard Moore of Harrogate writes, How sad it was to see Alex Cropley break a leg for the third time. As a devoted Villa fan, I can tell you that Alex was playing brilliantly before his accident. Alex would surely be in the Scotland squad for Argentina had it not been for injury. Uh, shoot replies he's shown courage and character coming back twice before I'm sure he would do it again have you got any recollections of Alex Alex Cropley I remember Alex Cropley playing but 
Goodness, that really is jogging my memory that he was he, even in contention for mm. 78. Did you Did you know that? I know. I, I, I didn't. Um, I, yeah, so there's, there's another one just here. Uh, um, another letter which, you know, may, may jog a few memories for yourself here. So there's one. Alistair Gordon from Presswick writes, On Scotsport, Arthur Montford <laughs> told us Celtic had um, beaten Partick Thistle 3-0 and added Celtic scored first. Yeah, <laughs> we've all done that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's, what's your what's your memories, of Arthur? Oh, Arthur, he was he was a good lad actually. Um, I I was the third ever presenter of Scotsport after Arthur Montford and Jim White, and Arthur used to occasionally write letters to me, right. and they'd be written on in one of these old typewriters, and tip little mistakes tipexed out. And they were lovely letters, and they would just be gently pointing out something I'd done wrong, <laughs> and this was the way I should have done it. And I would always reply to him, and I kept in touch with him. And I kept in touch with Arthur to the point that I heard he was very ill, and I heard he was in uh, the hospital up in the west end of Glasgow, and I, I just went up on spec one day and went in to see him, and he was so delighted that I popped in, mm. and we just sat and had a blether for about an hour. And just very, very sadly, he died a few yeah. weeks later. Uh, but I was, I was so happy that I'd gone to see him. Um, just to, just to, we we didn't say goodbye, but I think we both knew. Yeah, yeah. I think we both knew, and uh, I, I went to his funeral and everything. And uh, but he was a, a lovely man, absolutely lovely. I think man. that that when you're saying about him writing the letters, it's. I yeah. mean, that could have, if, if it was a different person, that could so easily have been so different and so negative for people to take yeah. that. But yeah, yeah. Just I mean, he was, was a type of person that sort of commanded respect. Without the a doubt. And yeah, without a doubt. I mean, he'd done it for so long. I mean, I, I can't remember how long Jim did it for, but I did it for eight years. Mm. Uh, and, and I felt that was a long time. But I think, Ar- I think uh, not Archie, Arthur. Uh, I think Arthur had done it for uh, oh, quite a few years because yeah. he'd been in right from the word go yeah. when they did it from the old Theatre Royal. Uh, they broadcast from the Theatre Royal back in those days and the, the tapes were brought back from the games and cars and stuff like that. I mean, some of the tales of the old days were absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we thought we had it tough, but uh, back in the day, they were pioneers, weren't they? Yeah. They were real pioneers. And uh, oh, he's, he's much missed and uh, he, was, he was a lovely man. Lovely yeah. man. Lovely. So we'll move on to pages 9 and 10. Uh, we're going to have a, a club spotlight in the Hibs and the colour team photo. So one... One page we've got the spotlight and the other we've got a team photo here. Uh, the spotlight itself gives some facts and stats on the club. It says the record competitive victory was a 15-1 victory versus People Rovers in the Scottish Cup in 1961. The record defeat was 9-2 to Morton in 1918-19. Now I would say that the, the, the records online seem to suggest that there was a 10-0 defeat to Rangers in 1898. So... It could well possibly mm. they have missed that one. Uh, most league points in the season was 54 in Division 2 in season 32-33. Now, there's point, it's pointless trying to compare this, really, um, because it was two points for a win. Um, yeah, of course. So we can't really <clears throat> compare that with anything else. Highest league scorer in a season was Joe Baker with 42 goals in 59-60, and that still stands today. Uh it gives the ground, so the information that's given here, the ground name, the pitch size, the telephone number, nicknames and colours, um, telephone number. And I love when I see this when it's Edinburgh, Glasgow, it's 031 and 041. And it's just, you, you age yourself when yeah. you, when you recognise that. Um, the club spotlight then goes through each player in the squad and gives a brief description along with weight, height and appearances. 
So we'll just pick a few of them out, uh, probably more than a few. Ali Brazil, a tall central defender who made his debut against Aberdeen. Des Bremner, he can play in midfield or defence and was signed from Devonvale, played for Aston Villa and Birmingham City and won Division 1, European Cup and the Super Cup with Villa. Not a bad CV. John Brownlee, defender who loves to join the attack. He was a player. Yeah. John Brownlee was a good player. Mm. It says he was, his career was interrupted in 73 when he yeah. suffered a fractured leg and he moved to Newcastle as well. I mean, some of the names here, we've got Arthur Duncan, very fast winger. It says he was also a Chiropodist in his spare time and he played 446 times in the league for Hibs and 118 for Partick Thistle. Um, before he actually moved to Hibs and he has six Scotland caps. Alex Edwards, midfielder or winger, signed from Dunfermline. He played 240 times for the Pars. Tony Higgins, he was signed from Coast Juniors, played 103 times for Hibs, 56 for Partick Thistle, Morton and Stranra, and became chairman of the SPFA. Yeah. And also after that, he became the Scottish representative at FIF Pro, which is the International Football Footballers Union in 2006. Uh, Mike McDonald, um, the goalie who was a never-present for Hibs the season before this magazine. It's a former Claybank goalkeeper, of course, and he yep. was famously signed to replace Gordon Banks at Stoke City. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spoke to Mike a couple of years, a couple of years ago, uh, and asked him about that. So he basically went through a teenage goalkeeper ever-present with Claybank to going down... Uh, to Stoke City and of course very shortly after that they signed Peter Shilton mm-hmm. uh, so uh, it went from being ever present at Claybank to training every day with Gordon Banks and Peter wow. Shilton was, it, was there a story that you told about when he went down um, well he when, when he went he hospital. went down Gordon Banks it was just days after uh, Gordon Banks' accident obviously with the car crash and the glass in his eye and uh, Tony Warrington the Stoke manager had led Mike into the hospital and Mike says I'm not even thinking but they go up and they're into uh, into a Gordon Banks' hospital bed and basically he said Gordon Banks just talked them through they were playing Stoke City and Gordon Banks was just uh, they were playing Leicester City uh, and Gordon Banks just talked them through this is, you know, this is your defence and this is Frank Wuthering's up front and blah blah and Mike was saying this is incredible the guy's careers and runes and he's sitting mm, talking to really? me G me up and say, oh mm. you must be a good keeper and you know just you get in there sudden he's like it was incredible and then uh, Jeff Hurst was the next thing and like Mike's saying he's just a boy for Clay Bank he says I'm reading about these guys and shoot and I've got Jeff Hurst and Gordon Banks like they're my mm. teammates talking to me and it's, it's some two goalkeepers to be sandwiched in between well this is the thing I said did it make you a better keeper and he says absolutely he said I was training every day with basically two of the greatest goalkeepers yeah. of all time and he only played nine games for Stoke City and apparently Clay Bank were due another 30,000 or something if he'd played 10 if he'd played 10 <laughs> games a lot of that went on uh, we'd still be we'd have still been in the Premier League if it wasn't for them Um he moved to Hibs in 75, played 109 league games before spells at Berwick Rangers and St Johnson. And he was, I don't know why, but he was given an 18-month touchline ban while manager at Galaferidine. So uh, you don't get an 18-month touchline ban for, for nothing. Something <laughs> naughty might yeah. have happened. So, Ali McLeod, uh, the striker, signed from Southampton for £25,000. He's a, a fine ball player. Uh, he started at St Mirren. So, played three games at Southampton, four games on loan at Huddersfield Town before moving to Hibs. So, and yeah, and I think one one of many players who went down south and you know maybe found it difficult or didn't settle and came back up. Jackie McNamara, who we'll call Jackie McNamara Senior, I guess, 
Um, midfielder, he went on, underwent a cartilage operation soon after he signed for Hibs and, and he was part of the deal that saw Pat Stanton move to Celtic. I don't know if it was a straight swap, was it? Or was it involved money as well? I'm not sure. I, th- I think it was, I think we read something about Pat Stanton earlier and I think it was a mm, swap. Straight swap. Okay, Bobby Smith, uh, versatile player, top scorer for in the league for Hibs that season, or the season, sorry, previously. It says he can also perform well in defence. He moved to Leicester um, where he played 121 league league games before a short spell back at Hibs and then Dunfermline, Partick Thistle and Berwick Rangers. And sadly, he died in 2010 from cancer, age 56. Um, so the next team, the next page has a team photo. So if we have a look at that and it shows the squad, and I can only say this is a glorious buck ticket. Oh yeah, the, the very singer. first sponsorship. Mm, with it down their sleeves and... It's, it's just, they were the first top flight British team to wear sponsors yeah. in the ships. Uh, sponsorships, sponsor on t- uh, shirts goes back further than this. In 75, 76, Kettering Town had made a deal with the local company, Kettering Tyres, which fit, fit in pretty well, to have their name on the shirts. So that was KT. The, the sponsorship was removed after financial threats from the English FA back then. So, I mean, do we want to pick any of the... The players out, or the the boots, or the shorts. Anything? Any comments on that? No, they're all wearing just sort of basic Adidas boots. Yeah, I think, basic yeah. Adidas. Yeah, but the Buckter shirt—that was the shirt that George Best wore, George wasn't Best, it? Yeah. yeah. So that must have been what the following year. Yeah, we do, yeah. Seventy-nine so. or eighty. Seventy-nine. Yeah, 80, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. It, it, I'll tell you why it must have been because uh, my best friend, who sadly passed away last year, was a guy called Gordon McCaffrey, and when we were playing under nineteen, which would be about seventy-nine, eighty. Uh, George Best was playing for Hibs and had disappeared one day <laughs> or one night and hadn't turned up for a game. Mm. And my friend didn't turn up for a game for similar reasons. And I remember he was he was christened by the rest of the boys, George. <laughs> and it stuck so much that when he used to come to my house, my mother actually called him George, not <laughs> Gordon. And so his name stuck his entire life. He was called after George Best. So there you go. And um, I just remember that because of the Bukta jersey. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a brilliant photograph of him running out the tunnel. Um, I think who is it is in the background of him. I think it might be it might be Ali Brazil's in the background as well. Um, but it's, you've you've got there's this young fan who's reaching out. Try to touch George Best, yeah. and it's it's one of the one of the great photos. Okay, well we'll move on then. Page thirteen, and shoot chat to Willie Morgan of Bolton Wanderers. So Willie was born in Socky in Alloa, nineteen forty four, and he actually he started his professional career at Burnley, and he was there for eight years, and then he moved to Man United, where he was there for seven years and moved back to Burnley for a year as well. Uh, he had a spell at Bolton Wanderers, a um, couple of loan spells at Chicago Sting and Minnesota Kicks. Um, and we've spoke about that at this sort of time, a lot of players were spending their summers and going over there. Yeah. Um, and you know, That was the start of it, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and the thing was, it was it was normally, a lot of it was players who were getting on a bit as well, and you think they were the sort of players who probably you would expect they would want the summer off. But maybe the the weather was maybe they treated it a bit of a holiday yeah. anyway you know the weather they're getting this extra money and maybe they, they thought it would keep their career going a bit because they're going to the next season still fit so he had a couple of spells there um, 
78 to 88 Minnesota kicks he played 65 games there and scored four goals so I think the American sides at the time were made up by British journeymen yeah. and mm-hmm. the greatest players yeah. that yeah. ever played the game yeah yeah, yeah I think I think that the, the the what they were trying to do was basically explode that yeah. that league by you know just getting all the, well, the, the New talent. York Cosmos were well named weren't they I mean it was Pele it yeah. was Beckenbar players Carlos like Alberto. that Alberto yeah was that the one David Dodds was in, was David Dodds in? no David Dodds David Robb was it David? But David all play for the Cosmos. Was it Cosmos? I think it was. Yeah. Um, oh, we'll look that up. Charlie Aitken played for the Charlie Aitken. Right. Scott played for the Cosmos. Bobby Lennox played for the Houston Dynamos. Mm. Uh, right. And then came back and signed again for Celtic. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he was away. Everybody thought that was him finishing. And I'm, I'm sure he came back and signed again for Celtic at least another year. Mm. Uh, David Robb played for Vancouver Whitecaps, Vancouver. Tulsa yeah. Roughnecks, and Tampa Bay Rowdies. Oh. That's the Rowdies I'm thinking Tampa of. Tampa Bay Rowdies, yeah. Um, what's his name? The English. Oh, he was on. He played for Man City. Rodney, Mar- Rodney Marsh. Yeah, Rodney Marsh. Rodney Marsh played for them as yeah. well. And Rodney Marsh. Yeah, because I've, I've, I've got in my mind this, this photograph of him surrounded by beautiful cheerleaders. Yeah. I'm just thinking that they. The, I bet they absolutely They were just having a ball. That, they that were just having a ball, weren't yeah. they? So, Willie, Willie had 21 caps for Scotland. And, you know, that was back at a time. That, that's a fantastic, really, um, for that sort of time, considering the, the sort of talent that was about. I mean, 21 is, you know, the sort of who would get 21 caps nowadays. Certainly wouldn't be a Willie Morgan. It would be somebody a lot less talented than that. Yeah. Uh, playing badly. And winning is a good sign. Okay, so this is, uh, this is, who's this? Well, this is Willie Morgan we're talking about, isn't it? So he says, I really believe this may be our year at last. And so he believes that a combination of the youngsters in the team have, having more experience now, along with a little luck, is the difference this season. And he says, we have played badly in a couple of batches, had a slice of luck and come away with the two points. I feel it may be a good sign that we're at last going to make it this year. We have a little more patience now and we don't get down so easily as we used to. He says, Jim McDonough has come on leaps and bounds and goals since he joined us. And Peter Nicholson, Sam Allardyce, Paul Jones and Peter Reid are also much better. So, I mean, that, that's a few names in there which we were well aware of. Well aware of um, and that would have been their early days. And he says, we won't be taking anyone casually. A real test will come nearer the end of the season if we're still in contention for promotion. And it goes on. From my own point of view, I've been fairly happy with my form so far. I think if you play on the wing, you rely a great deal on other people giving you the ball in the right situations. When the team is winning and on top, it's much easier to play. So I've, I've mentioned this numerous times, and it, it seems to be every single podcast I always mention about wingers. <laughs> Wingers, are, they're confidence players, and they need the ball, and you, you can't get onto them if if they can't beat a man. As long as they keep trying, yeah. wingers, it's 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 that part of the, you know, I, I, there's very few wingers I can think of who always take a man on and beat them. Don't call them wingers anymore, do they? Yeah, you you would not say such and such as a winger. You would say he's a wide player. Yeah, um, which is a shame. Mm. It's like shies, bring back shies. <laughs> <laughs> shies, eh? Whatever happened to shies? Whatever happened to the shy? I'm just, I'm just thinking there, Jim, I've used Wikipedia to check who'd played for what, but I don't think Wikipedia is that reliable. Doesn't Wikipedia have a fact 
about you that's completely <laughs> made up? Uh, well, if it's the one I'm thinking of that I, I used to be the groundsman at Inter Milan, I'd I do not know where that one came from. Wikipedia said that Jim used to be the chief, the chief groundsman. I used to be the head groundsman at Inter Milan. Has he still got it on it? Well, let's spell we can These things get edited all the time. Probably, yeah, it's probably edited. There's no reason for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> it's just bizarre. I mean, I've actually phone calls from radio stations saying, "Where are you?" The no. It's like, where did that come from? I mean, somebody's just gone on there and been a bit of a monkey. I think. Yeah, no, um, it's not on the Wikipedia page. It, it, it was there for a while. It's been, and it yes, just been fact checked. It's been fact checked. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so just a wee spoiler on how the season went for Bolton. So they'll be going to win the second division that season by one point ahead of Southampton, and so this ended their fourteen-year exile from the top flight. Uh, two points separated the top four teams with Southampton and Spurs also being promoted. Brighton were unlucky. Um, they missed out having the same points as Spurs, but they had a worse goal difference. There's not really a, mm. a worse way not to go up than that, is there? Uh, I suppose other than I suppose they have the playoffs now, and that could be worse. But now pages 20 and 21 uh, is, I think it may be in the centre pages, is it? But it's, no, yeah, it is, isn't it? Is it centre pages yep. yet? Right, so this is our wall chart, wall chart 1978 says. So this is what was mentioned on the front cover. It's part two of the FA Cup wall chart. And it details the date of each of the rounds in both the English and Scottish FA Cup. So again, as we were talking about, loads of Scottish content and they actually do provide for both competitions, which, you know, if this was today or even the last 20 years, it would probably be just about the Premier in the, the English FA Cup. So there are also spaces to record the results of either the fourth round of the FA Cup or the third round of the Scottish Cup as you as you want. So it's, I, I, you know, I remember getting things like these as well as a youngster and you would, that, that's why, see when you're saying I, I kept I kept these, the, the football cards I have or some of the sets are what we kept, everything else I've, mm recollected you know so I've been on eBay I've been here there and the other thing so there's no way this would have been my original magazine because right. things like this would have been taken out and you would have had the Hib well maybe not the Hibs team but you would have things cut out um, these would have been on the wall they would have been filled in you know so I just find it amazing that we can still find magazines that have I mean I've got Here's another another example League ladders. of League Ladders. Mm, I remember Un them. Even unused. Yeah. And it's like as far back as 19... I mean, these ones are, I think, 72 or something like that. And they're still perfect condition. Yeah. And it's like, what sort of child would have these in their possession? And not use them. Yeah. <laughs> it's just absolutely correct. I'd, but, you know, f as far as we're concerned, thank you, whoever did that. So, um, moving on to pages 24 and 25... So this is sort of what you touched on earlier on about the... The columnist. Yeah, the columnist. So it's Andy Gray this time, um, wearing a lovely pair of flared trousers there. They are fantastic. Quite big. Now, is that, whenever I see things like this, I, I keep saying, you know, it's not just today that there's problems with flares in football. Yeah. So there we go. It was way back then as well. And uh, is his dog there as well? Ben? He's got his dog, yeah. I think it was Ben. And there's so many photographs of him with Ben. It's 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 really interesting. Um, I think it's a pup at that point, but I've yeah. seen I've seen, it's like little. There's a picture. that's like little house of the prairie where he's running down a hill, and you know there's Ben beside him as well, and he's obviously got big flares on. Uh, so 
Andy says, what has soccer done for me? And again, I'll, I'll point out what I point out all the time. Now if Andy asked that right now, <laughs> it's done a lot for Andy <laughs> yeah. Gray, hasn't it? It's, cha- it's cha- He's still raking it in out yeah. there. And where is Doha? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've, do you know, it's like people have their opinions about Andy Gray, but I, I love Andy Gray. I think, I think Andy Gray mm-hmm. was one of the main drivers of pushing the, the, the English Premiership in the early years of Sky and stuff like that. He he made it exciting and interesting to watch the games. I, I, I'm a big fan of Andy Gray. As a player? I, was, as, a, as a pundit. As a pundit as well, yeah, yeah, yeah fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Is there is an ex-professional you've worked with, Jim, that you enjoy? I've never worked with Andy, never worked with him. Um, I've, I've come across him, he knows me, I know him, but um, I, I, I've never actually sat beside him in a TV mm-hmm. studio. Uh, but I do remember when he came to Rangers at the very end of his career, yeah. and it really was the fag end of his career, <laughs> but we still thought he had something. As soon as must have thought he had something as well. And I remember being in the old press box at Hamden Park, the one that used to sit right up on the roof and it leaned right over. Mm. And Andy Gray came on as a substitute. It'd be a League Cup semi-final <laughs> or something. And he came on as a substitute and we thought, all right, let's have a look at Andy Gray. And somebody played a through ball and, and Andy tried to run after it. And we all just looked at each other and thought, oh, he's gone. The legs had gone completely. He couldn't even chase a if ball 20 yards. Over, yeah, it was, it was absolutely horrendous. Uh, so I don't think it lasted long no, at Rangers, did it? No. It was, I, I, it was I, just a few games. Yes, I have that binding memory as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you remember oh, that. I was it, there. it doesn't seem as though yeah. a lot of people remember that. It was just, it was slow motion almost. Yeah. It was It was like, oh, just... Take them off. Yeah, this, was, them this off. was embarrassing. Yeah. So, but one of the things I was going to mention there is, again, it's 1978 and soccer is still the predominant word that's used rather than football in these magazines. So, mm. you know, it's, it's something, you know, I think I was I was part of that that um, group of people who, bit of snobbery around the word, you know, thinking, oh, that's, that's the American way of writing it or using it. But the fact was, in all the magazines, all the different publications, Goal, Charles Buckin, Match, Scoop, uh, Shoot, they all use soccer up mm. until pretty much, I think, when the American MLS and the National Leagues and that started up. And then it was, it's a bit, bit, you know, using our word. So here we go. He says, what has soccer done for me? So Andy says, football has given me many things, moments I'll never forget, such as my double triumph in last year's PFA poll. I can look back on around 90 league goals and just 150 appearances for Dundee United and Aston Villa. More than anything, it has made me confident as a person. Believe it or not, deep, deep down, I'm a shy lad. Did we believe that? No. Yeah, certainly. Well, it's not now. He says, I'd be a liar if I said I didn't like the sort of popularity that goes with my job. Only once during, only once has being a footballer given me a bad time. When I was 18, and just making a name for myself at Dundee United. I was at a dance locally and a few followers of Dundee duffed me up in the toilet. Nothing too serious, but upset me to think people could be so vicious. So he, can, he goes on and says, Some footballers get big time when they hit the headlines, yet I still have the same circle of friends I had in Scotland. They'd soon tell me if I stepped out of line. My pals are always coming down to stay, and they joke that the reason I have a big house <coughs> is to accommodate all my mates. He said, I think Ron, so- Ron Saunders, his manager, would like to see him married. I'm not ready for it at the moment. I enjoy my social life and had a lovely Christmas present from my girlfriend, an old English sheepdog puppy called Ben. Away from football, I enjoy watching TV, listening to music, 
and been with my friends and Ben, of course. He says, actually, I like appearing on TV. I say, there's that confidence thing again. So, mm-hmm. um, writing my article for Shoot every other week has been an eye opener and has given me the opportunity to talk about subjects I wouldn't have had the chance to do otherwise. So, Andy then talks about the pressure that the press puts on players, but says that it doesn't really affect him. He was likened to his boyhood hero Dennis Law, boy, Dundee United. He feels sympathy for George Best, who had a tougher time than anyone in the game. He says, I'm not sure I'd like to be that popular. So this is, this again, I've, I've spoken about this about the Danny McGrain column and things as well. It's I just don't feel you, if, if you got players to write columns and articles nowadays, I don't think they'd be this forthright. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all about sound bites and stuff now, and you could... I mean, I, I, I'll admit that there's been a few articles I've read through and I've just thought, there's nothing I can take it from this. It's just, you know, it's just making noise to fill up space. But I, I don't feel that way with a lot of these magazine articles at the time. Most newspaper columns or magazine columns purportedly written by footballers are basically done over the phone. Yeah. So a, a journalist, I would imagine this one would have been a shoot journalist would phone Andy Gray once a week mm-hmm. and say, so Andy, what do you think? Yeah. And then Andy would spout for 20 minutes and the journalist <laughs> would go away and write it up. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that is told by the, the bit that you just read out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the shoot column every other week has been an eye opener and given me the opportunity to talk about subjects I wouldn't have had the chance to do otherwise. So he's blethering away to a reporter who actually pulls this all together, yeah. uh, which is no bad thing. It still happens. Uh, I mean, the one guy who does his own stuff is Davy Proven, mm-hmm. has always written his stuff agonised over it written it filed it uh, whereas a lot of the football columns it's just a reporter phoning up a player and the player says what he thinks and the reporter types it up um, the other thing that struck me about the Andy Gray column was the fact that he was duffed up in a toilet in Dundee and he said it was nothing too serious yeah and then well there you but go but then he says <laughs> I was surprised at the viciousness of exactly it. Yeah. It like you, you don't equate vicious with duffed up yeah, yeah duffed up's a sort of pull, pull your jacket over the top of their head I'd be in therapy if I was duffed up in a <laughs> toilet in Dundee So he goes on, he says, I'm making money in the game. He says, it's a short career and I want to ensure that by the time I'm 35, I don't have to go looking for a job outside the game. My dream is to design my own house, possibly in the Midlands. He enjoys meeting people off the pitch and taking part in events such as shop openings and hospital visits. And he says, I'm hoping that after Scotland win the World Cup in June, I will have an invitation for every day of the week. I love that attitude. So once we win the World Cup, they'll be wanting me every day of the week. Go on. So Andy Gray, is um, Andrew Mullen Gray. So I'm wondering, again, one of the things I've found out is there's a lot of players, of people who, Scottish people whose middle name is actually their mother's maiden name. Um, so I'm just wondering if Mullen is one of these situations. Hmm, um, quite possible, yeah. And so he was born in Gladys, Drumchapel, Drumchapel lad like myself. Um, he had a Claybank Strollers, do you know? Yeah, they were sort of a local sort of district mm-hmm. uh, team. They yeah. actually trained at Cabaway Park because uh, Cabaway Park was used for uh, a lot of the sort of Western Bartonshire teams came and uh, played games and, and, and trained down there. His brother actually played for Claybank when Claybank were a junior team. Right. Uh, and uh, Morris Morris Friel scouted him, uh, and Morris was actually a coach at Clydebank. And uh, when when he actually when he 
signed him for Dundee United, Andy Gray said, ah, do you know, remember me? That was the wee boy that used to come in with my brother Jimmy in at the Claybank dressing room. He, uh, his brother didn't, didn't play that long, half a mm. season or something like that right. for Claybank. But, Andy's uh, brother. Uh, yeah. I, but uh, Andy was in the Claybank dressing room when he was when he was about 12 or something like that. Mm. So just, I mean, we, we know a lot of the teams he played for, Dun United, Villa, Wills, Everton, Aston Villa again, Notts County, West Brom. But actually, he had... 20 games for Cheltenham after Rangers so he still managed to he's still got a game yeah. goodness uh, he scored 7 goals as well but I've got him down here was Cheltenham even a league team at that point oh, f- I, I, I think I, they'd be yeah. what's now the National League wouldn't they but I mean he's he scored 5 goals while he was at Rangers mm-hmm. um, and that's I mean these are league goals as well so yeah. I, I, to be honest I remember the falling over more than any of the goals <laughs> so, um, he moved to Villa for 110,000 from uh, age 19 and moved to Wales in 79 for 1.5 million, 1.49 million. <laughs> moved to Everton in November f- uh, in 83 for 250,000. I think that's a bit of a bargain for Everton, wasn't it? And his honours include uh, the League Cup 76, 77 for Villa, the League Cup 79, 80 for Wolves, and for Everton they won the First Division, the FA Cup. Charity Shield and the Cup Winners Cup. Yeah, the great partnership with Graham Sharp. Mm. Yes, he did. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you, you know he's 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 done okay, is it, Andy? You might um, remember just while you're on the subject of Andy Gray, you might remember when he when he was pretty ensconced in Sky Sports, mm. he was so the story went offered the manager's job at Wolves. Right. And I think if you look really hard into that. Uh, you might realise that he was negotiating his new contract with Sky at the time <laughs> and the very fact that Wolves were supposedly wanting to make him the manager at a certain price which was quoted in the papers might have had some bearing on his new contract at Sky Sports <laughs> but I wouldn't like to say No, 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 this is, this is get that all on Andy Gray's Wikipedia Tom, right now <laughs> like, Apparently you can put anything on there So um, I think at this point what we're going to do um, so we're aware, you're aware of the the uh, focus on page that you get. Yep. So we take it with the the uh, player from the period is asked all these questions and stuff. So we're going to do a focus on Jim Delahunt yep. here. So you can choose not to answer any of the questions. I'll do my best. Yeah, but we'll fire them at you and see where it goes. So we'll start off with uh, what's your full name? Full name Sunday name is James. Martin Delahunt. Okay. What's your birthplace? Birthplace, uh, strictly speaking, is Irvine because I was born in Irvine Central Hospital. Okay. What's your first car? My first car would have been that I actually owned myself would be a little Citroen. Uh, can't remember what kind of model it was, but it was a little white Citroen that I bought for £600. £600. Sounds like a bargain. What's your favourite player? Uh, my favourite player to this day, despite the fact that it was a hundred years ago, was George Connolly of Celtic. George Connolly. Yeah. I I tried to play like George Connolly and I couldn't, but I mm. thought he was utterly brilliant. Well, it's, it's one of these players. I mean, I never really saw him play, but it's one of these players you just hear that he could have been. Oh, uh, he, he would have been uh, today. He would have been a. I mean, he okay. He might not have been Virgil Van Dyke, but he would have been up there. Yeah, yeah. He was different class. Yeah. And with a little bit more training and, and probably today's intense coaching, he would have been right up there. Mm-hmm. So what's your favourite team? Uh, my favourite team, I'll be honest, as a kid, was Celtic. 
because I was brought up in a Celtic sporting family, but we were taken to see Kilmarnock and Air United on a regular basis because we were in Saltcoats. Uh, I'm now a season ticket holder at St Mirren. Right. Uh, and I, I would probably say now I don't have a favourite team, but I, I take my kids to St Mirren. Okay, good stuff. What's your most memorable match? Uh, are we talking to watch? Uh, well, if, 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 unless you've taken part in one that's been I memorable. I could probably get to that, but if, if we're talking <laughs> to watch, I would probably say most memorable match. I'll come back to that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, what's your biggest thrill? Biggest thrill uh, would have to be away from football and it would be actually having my first ride on the race course, which was at Hamilton about mid-90s. Okay. What's your biggest disappointment? Biggest disappointment was not riding a winner. <laughs> I, I, I really set out to ride one winner. That's all I wanted to do, one winner. And the closest I ever got was I finished third on two separate occasions. The first time I should have won. The second time the horse and me both overperformed and we finished third at 33 to one. But the first one I should have won. Yeah, okay. What's the best country you visited? Uh, without a doubt, Sweden. Sweden. Yeah, that, that's the only. I've been in. I've been in countries all around the world, uh, both work and play, uh, and I'm going back to Australia this year. Uh, I've been there twice before, and Sweden is the only one that I could put my hand in my heart and say I could live there. What, what just the, the whole atmosphere, the whole regulatory system in the country, the way it's governed, the way they treat their people, the the way people go about their business on a daily basis, it is. So civilised, it is unbelievable, and I, I could certainly live there if I, if I really wanted to and put my mind to it. Okay, good answer. I like that. I'm, uh, one of my favourites is Norway. Yeah, well, there you go. It's not too so. far away. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite food? Uh, favourite food is... Oh, it's fish and chips. Fish and chips. Yeah. Whether, it's, whether it's homemade or out of the shop. close to steak and chips there. <laughs> We're yet to have a steak and chips. Uh, miscellaneous likes, so just give me two things that you like to do. Uh, what I like to do, uh, bizarrely, I like walking. I, mm. I, I, I do enjoy walking. And the other thing would be um, watching horse racing. Watching horse yeah. racing. Yeah. Um, and on the, the flip side, the couple of things that you dislike. Uh, what I not like? Uh, I hate fake news. Uh, it really drives me mad that people are gullible enough to swallow it without checking facts. Uh, and something else that I don't like is probably um, I'll come back to you in that one as well. <laughs> fake we, news we can, is a killer for me. If you come up with one, great. Yeah. If not, one's enough. The fake news is enough. I oh. think you could maybe also say even when they're presented with the facts, yeah, they still, they still believe, believe the, the fake, fake news. news. Yeah, exactly. Um, your favourite TV show? Favourite TV show, I could easily say Scott Sport, but it's not on anymore, so I would <laughs> well, probably... Well, favourite one of all time, it doesn't Favourite one of all one. time, I'll stick with Scott Sport, because that's, that's the one I presented. One. Um, do you have favourite singers uh, or singer? Yeah, I can go straight to Queen, because I was a Queen fan before everybody else was a Queen fan. Um, and I've now got my 12-year-old liking Queen as well, yeah. and uh, I just don't need to go any further. Great. Favourite actors? Uh, I'm not big into movies. Uh, but I do love Michael Caine. Right, okay. Who's your best friend? My best friend uh, is is and was a guy called Gordon McCaffrey, mm -hmm. who I met when I was 15 because he was at a different school and his dad moved jobs and he came to my school and we were friends from 15 till he died last October and uh, I miss him terribly. Okay. 
Who's been the biggest influence in your life? Uh, biggest influence on my life would have to be my mum, without a doubt. Okay. Yeah. And the last question, which person in the world would you most like to meet? Most like to meet? Well, I've met Muhammad Ali, uh, I've met Lester Piggott, uh, probably I would have liked to have met Nelson Mandela, but I'm never going to do that. Um, but I don't have any heroes or icons anymore, so I'd probably say, let's just see what happens. <laughs> what was the one um, f- most memorable match, did you think uh, of that? I, 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 I've got five or six football medals, which I've still kept. Um, a couple of them were league medals, which are league medals, but I've got four cup final medals, and three of those I was an unused substitute. Are they all winners' medals? They're all winners' medals. Yeah. But the one that I treasure is the one that I captained the side, a Drossen Boys Club, to win the Ayrshire League Cup at Dam Park in Ayr. I think it was 1977. And we played a, a team, an Irving team called Babka, the week before. It was a works, works team, works boys team, if you like. Mm-hmm. And uh, they beat us 8-0 in a league game on our pitch. And the following Saturday, we had to play them in the League Cup final. So it was a foregone conclusion that they were going to win. Yeah. And at halftime, we were leading 5-1. And we hung on to win 5-4. And I lifted <laughs> the trophy. And it was the best feeling ever. So that was that was the biggest moment in my limited football career. I think that fits into most memorable match then. So we're quite happy with that. Okay, thank you for that. And um, we'll move back to the, the magazine then. And where did we leave off? We're still on the... We've just went past Andy Gray, haven't we? So we're on Ask the Expert. And so, if we, I think we're just moving on a page or two. Are we, are we on the same page? So, yeah, so yeah, we're on yeah, the same page. That. We're at the bottom. Ask the expert. And one of the, um, it's from Colin Edwards from Flint. And he asks, when did players' shirts first have numbers on? So, shoot replies, as far as this country goes, England, it wasn't made compulsory until the Football League, the English AGM in the summer of 1939. Number shirts had been used before on rare occasions. Though. The 1938 FA Cup final saw both teams numbered from 1 to 22, right through from the Everton keeper to the Man City outside left. Arsenal and Chelsea experimented with it at the start of the 1928-29 season, but it met with opposition <laughs> and was dropped. I mean, this is... People just don't like change, do they? It's like, what's yeah. that stupid numbers on the... the, mm. the but I find that fascinating about 1938 World, uh, FA Cup. It wasn't 1-11, 1-11. It was 1 through to 22 over the two different teams. Ah, right. Uh, that's, which is just a... I didn't know that. A really strange thing. In Scotland, they were introduced in 1946, but not made compulsory until 1960. And I think you probably do know, Celtic wore the numbers on their shorts instead, and so they ignored the rule and not in their shirts, and they did that until 1995. So mm-hmm. Celtic have always had that, the yeah. big numbers, which are... And it was only 95 they were 95. forced to put them on their backs yeah. as well, yeah. which which brought about the introduction of the white panel, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of Celtic fans hated. Oh, you, you don't break the, yeah. the hoops, mm-hmm. do you? Yeah. you don't break the hoops. European games, I think, They had eights. to, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's, the next um, Ask the Expert is from Ian Pierce of Warrington, and he asks... My friend has tried to tell me Blackburn Rovers ground once had a pond in the middle. Is he having me on? Now, the very fact that I'm picking this out, I think you know what the answer is. So your shoot replies, it's true, although it wasn't Ewood Park. Instead, it was the first ground they ever had called Brook House Ground, a rough old patch of ground. 
They only played there for one year, but the pond in the middle had to be covered with planks and turf before each match. <laughs> that is brilliant. I mean, that's just, that's just, I mean, how, how do you play in that? That's, that's a different game of football. Um, so if we move along to pages 20. That's the Easter Road sloping context. <laughs> it does, yeah. So pages 26 and 27, um, we've got some results that we can look at so results scorers team lineups is the, the title and I'm just going to pick some of these things out you know pick some out yourselves if you want but going to look at Saturday 17th December the Scottish Premier and the results there were Clybank nil, Air United 2 uh, 1500 it was McCutcheon and McCall with the goals for Air United uh, Dundee United 2 Partick Thistle 2 6000 there a double from Wallace and a Sumner penalty and O'Hara goal for Thistle. Hibs beat Aberdeen 2-0 in front of 6,500 fans. Murray and Duncan with goals in each half. Rangers 3, Motherwell 1 in front of 17,500. Two goals from Gordon Smith and one from Derek Johnson. And Peter Miller with a consolation goal. And St Mirren 3, Celtic 3. Uh, 17,000 watched that game. Goals from Stark, McGarvey and Monroe. For Saints, oh sorry, Stark, McGarvey and Monroe for Saints. And it was McAdam, Lynch and a Joe Craig goal for Celtic. So I'm just trying to think, was this the... No, that was was Morton I'm thinking of, so forget about that. (laughs) (laughs) I I was trying to think if this was the season and I was thinking that was somewhere in there, but there was a season Morton had a great start and they were, you know, I think they were... Top or was that an Andy Ritchie season? season? Yeah, yeah. It, it might have been the season before yeah. or something actually. Mm. So, yeah. So, and so Arthur it, Montford was a Morton fan. Yeah, there you so go. And, yeah, and they probably started getting the, the Morton fans a wee bit excited there. So I apologise for that. So that's uh, uh, Alex Ferguson, St Mirren team. Uh, yeah. Would have been, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. So, so St Mirren and Claybank had come up from the first division the previous season. Mm-hmm. And uh, St Mirren obviously did significantly better than Claybank did. Yeah. I mean, 17,000 that. Love Street I mean that would have been absolutely you know just heaving and buzzing at that point I guess Uh, look at the week later so Saturday 24th of December um, again we're looking at the Scottish Premier so Christmas Eve we've got Aberdeen 4 Rangers nil. goals from Davy Robb Derek Gibson Joe Harper and Drew Jarvie Derek Gibson isn't really a name that I recall what Aberdeen is Derek Gibson no no Um, so next game Celtic won Dundee just before you move on from yeah. that one that result would not have raised eyebrows mm. Aberdeen 4 Rangers nil back then right. that yeah. would not have raised eyebrows well I mean this one was at Aberdeen but yeah. I mean who would have it would have been Alan McLeod still no he would have who would have been the manager then 78 um, at this point no he would have been would he have been the Scotland manager at this point yeah he was the manager he in was, 77 yeah. Yeah. So who was it after the See, Billy McNeil? Billy McNeil. Billy yeah, McNeil would have been, yeah. Mm-hmm. Billy McNeil manager there. Uh, so C- Celtic won Dundee United nil. A goal from Ed Valson. Um Hibs have won for the second week in a row. Two one against Motherwell. McLeod and Patterson for Hibs and Pettigrew for Wet Motherwell. Partick Thistle four. Air United one. Ahara hat trick. Houston for Thistle. McLaughlin for United. And uh, St Mirren doing well, 2-0 victors over Clydebank with McGarvey and Hislop, uh, the scorers there. I'll give you a couple of stories, just two of the players you mentioned there. Willie Pettigrew uh, of Motherwell uh, won 
I served him when I was a waiter in the Seamill Hydro and he gave me a fiver tip. That was big money at that time. It was big money at that time. And I'll tell you, and we also went on a school football tour to the Lake District and our bus driver was Willie Pettigrew's brother. (laughs) So there you are. There's a claim to fame. And just when you mentioned Gordon Smith... Mm. I was a waiter at Gordon Smith's wedding, right. also in the Seamill Hydro, way back in the late 70s, and Derek Johnson was the best man. Did you get any tips for that? don't remember getting a tip for that one, but when I told Gordon years later that I, he couldn't believe it, and he actually brought his <laughs> wife, he brought his wife and said, ask him, he d- ask him, honestly. She couldn't believe that I'd been the waiter, because at that time I was presenting Scott Sports. I'm so. wondering if you'll be in any of the photographs in the background. Ah, Probably not, probably yeah. not, but okay. uh, there you go. Full story. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to move on to page 30. And it is an advert for Umbro. And it's Wear the Colours. W-E-A-R, Wear the Colours. And it's Umbro International. And it says, support your team, sport the real thing, the choice of champions. And it's a full page, colour advert, sporting four of Umbro's current kits. So I'm not entirely sure who the... Bolton, if it's Bolton Wanderers, um, or who it is, could be Derby, Derby County. Mm. Um, any thoughts on the player? Uh, his, his face is jumping out at me, but I, I can't mean, put a name yeah, to him. I mean, it could be. It's like, I, I don't know who that is, so um, it could be anyone. Well, it couldn't be. But <laughs> the next one, Chelsea. Do we recognise that one? I know who that one was straight away. Modelling a kit. Uh, no, I'm going to give in on that one. That's. Uh, Graham Wilkins. Oh, Butchie's brother. Yeah. Um, Next one. Mick Shannon. Mick Shannon, Man City. And next Uh, one's a given. It's Willie Donaghy. Willie Donaghy, yeah. Uh, Wearing the Scotland kit. Yeah. Apart from possibly the The socks. The socks, yeah. Yeah. Although that was the socks I had when I I got the Scotland for, kit for, for, for the purpose of the podcast, he was wearing white socks. He was wearing white socks. (laughs) Yeah. So we were probably playing Wales. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But just, I mean... The kits are just. There's something about the Umbro diamonds that, that does it for me. Um, I, I've said it before. You could put that on anything, and it works. And in fact, the only other one is um, the Adidas one. She's on the so on the next page. It's mm. uh, Billy Ashcroft of Middlesbrough, and I just I think that's a man, fantastic Middlesbrough kit. It's short so sleeves, it's, all white. It's Bayern Munich, Munich like, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. It's so it's red socks, white white shorts, white top. And it's short sleeve with the, um, it's a round collar, red collar. Um, you've got your your three three lines for your Adidas down, and it's it's simple. Yeah, yeah but it's like a polo. There was a polo shirt yeah. around about that time, although the Adidas would be on the left hand side. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's absolutely. I just I just love things like that. So, uh, Billy Ashcroft was from he's from Liverpool. He started at Wrexham, played two hundred and nineteen times there. He was a says defender slash forward. Um, so I, I don't know if you usually when it's that they've started as one and maybe towards the end of the career they've moved to the other I imagine he probably ended as a defender but I'm just guessing here so we're going to look at some of the answers to his questions so we've, we've, we've done yours Jim Yeah. so we'll have a look at some of his the car a Datsun mm-hmm. uh, most difficult opponent Jim Holton Jim, big Jim Holton mm-hmm. yeah. the biggest thrill scoring against Man United uh, his favourite food was a T-bone steak Still nobody's steaking chips. Um, he likes sunshine and sleeping. Don't we all? He dislikes rain, 
shaving yeah. and gardening. I'd go with all three there. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, the, neither of them are, none of them really bother me that much. Personal ambitions to secure my family's future. That's admirable. And person he'd most like to meet, comedian Freddie Starr. Oh. <laughs> He's not really set, setting his... Um, the bar's not very <laughs> high, is it? <laughs> so we move on to page 33. Um, there's a couple of good Scottish... Um, articles here and the first one is Air United's Little and Large so it's Gordon Crammond and Walker McCall so the article said Little and Large are a highly successful comedy double act it's their job to make people laugh there's a Little and Large of Scottish football and it's their job to make defenders cry so Walker McCall over six foot is obviously the large of the partnership and Gordon Crammond five foot and five inches is little uh, the partnership create and make goals for the side that have confounded critics by remaining in the Premier Division for the past two seasons. So Alan McLeod's the manager of Air United, or was the manager for the past two seasons, and I think it was, I'm sure it means, Alex Stewart takes over at Air United. Um, so it says they're a friendly club who put the accent on skill, and they, they have one of the best young bosses uh, in Alex Stewart who took over from Air when Ali McLeod became Aberdeen boss, so he's, a, he's actually been there for a few years. Um, he talks about his first game in charge being against Aberdeen with Ali as a new manager, and they won 1-0. Uh, he signed keeper Gagan and McCall, both from the, the Dons. Um, on McCall, he says, I thought he was far too good for the reserves. He's lethal in the air, but he's quick in the deck too, so I think he's pretty good for a big man. But good in the ground for a big man, I think, is the, the trope that people use. So Walker McCall, born in Irvine, and he started at Hullford um, as a youth and joined Aberdeen in 73. He played 23 league games between then and 76, before moving to Air United, where he played 78 league games between 76 and 78, scoring 34 goals, so that's a pretty decent return. Uh, he moved on to St Johnston, and then we're talking about the American trips here, he moved to San Diego Soccers. But the, the names are just brilliant, isn't it? It's, there's nothing simple about it, it's all about pow, bang, wallop. So the San Diego Soccers, um, he spent uh, 47 games there, Atlanta Chiefs, 14 games there, he then moved back to Aberdeen and then he played for South China, it's another team in Hong Kong and he finished his career Dundee between 83 and 86 where he scored 14 goals in 57 games. So regarding his partnership with Cramon, McCall spearheads the line but Cramon supplies the ammunition for him to fire in. Stuart brought Cramon from St Johnson and he plays in the same manner this is quite a um, accolade here the same manner as Nottingham Forest great little battler Archie Gemmel uh, many critics thought Cramon should have won the Scottish Player of the Year around two years ago which was won by John Gregg now Gregg was quick to say Cramon could have won the title he certainly impressed me with his never say die spirit and skillful play he's a great all round player who just doesn't know the meaning of the word defeat that's the sort of player I admire, so that's pretty good. Would this be after the time that you'd been going to see Air United? Uh, round about the same time, yeah. round about the same time, yeah. Uh, I remember seeing Walker McCall play, I remember seeing Jim McSherry play, yeah. uh, players like that. Yep, yeah. 
And uh, also when I went to West Sound, uh, Ali McLeod was back at Air United. Mm. I remember getting to interview Ali when he was back at Air for a second time, maybe even a third time. Uh, so yeah, quite a little bit of connection with Air, with yeah. Air United as well. Yeah. So regarding Gordon Crammond, he was born in Aberdeen and he started his career at Dundee, <laughs> didn't, didn't play any league games, went to Montrose. Mm and then St Johnston, and then that's where he moved to Air United, where he spent four years between 76 and 80. Um, he had a couple of seasons at Kilmarnock, and then finished at Brecon, where he only actually played one game. And he made an appearance for the Scottish League eleven in 1978. Uh, Alex Stewart himself, he was also born in Aberdeen, so there's a, there's a big Aberdeen connection with these going on here. He began at Dundee between 58 and 69, 166 appearances. So, you know, he had a few appearances there. Moved to Dundee United. So there's does seem to be quite a few players who made that switch and sometimes it's a direct switch. But he only played one one time in the league and then moved to Montrose where he was player-manager at one point. He managed Air United up until 78 and went to St Johnston for a couple of years and then managed Reykjavik in 1980. Uh, he won Division 1 with Dundee, and then, so when he played with Dundee in 61-62, that's when they won the, 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 the first division, you know, the main league in Scotland. Um, and just as a wee spoiler, Air United would be relegated at the end of the season along with Clyde Bank, who finished mm. bottom. Yep. So unfortunately the partnership didn't, didn't give them what they wanted. On the same page, we have a breakthrough for Brian, and we're talking about Brian Whitaker here of Partick Thistle. And the article goes on. Partick Thistle have had many of the players wearing the dark jerseys of Scotland in recent years. So we mentioned Alan Ruff, Dennis McQuaid, Bobby Houston, John Hansen, Alex Forsyth, and Alan Hansen. And he also mentions that Jimmy Bone broke through shortly after leaving for Norwich. Uh, one player ready to make the international breakthrough is 21-year-old left-back Brian Whitaker. And boss at the time, Bertie Old, says, It's great to see young Brian maturing all the time. He's a good defensive player who likes to attack whenever the opportunity arises. He plays the game in the modern manner and he is developing superbly. He hasn't long been in senior soccer, but he's already playing with maturity. And he's, he's known to his teammates as Roger. So I think we all know why that is. Um, I just of London? Yeah. I just say the, this... He plays it in the modern manner. It's like, I, I, I'm not really sure what, what that, that means. Mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, but um, Whitaker recalls his goal against Rangers that made him headlines earlier in the season. He says, I won't forget that goal in a hurry. I've always had a soft spot for Rangers, but it was good to score the winner against them. His form has interested other clubs, including West Ham and QPR. He's an entertainer and comes forward as much as possible, but he never takes unnecessary risks. Uh, they've got a quote for you from Alan Ruff who says, Brian's never far from the action, whether it's an attack or defence. When I've got the ball, he's always in the open looking for a quick throw to set off an attacking motion. He never gets lost up front. So I guess, yeah, I, I can see what they mean about the, the modern manner. In fact, it sounds like the modern manner today, yeah. actually that. And using the ball, Ruffy continues, he knows when to put in a cross, whether it's low or high. He also knows when to bring it inside and work a one-two or have a go. So, I mean, he's definitely sounding like a, a, a footballing defender. It could be that Whitaker will soon be teammates of Ruffy in the Scotland side. Now, the spoiler is that he made two appearances for the Scottish League eleven, 
but he was never capped at full international mm. level. Um, so he was born, and he's born in 1956, but sadly died in a car crash. I think it was in Edinburgh in 1997. So he was only 40 years old when he died. Um, he had spells, Partick Thistle, Celtic between 83 and 84. He also had, you know, a big a big spell at Hearts between 84 and 90 and finished his career between 90 and 92 at Falkirk. Uh, he was part of the Hearts team that lost uh, the league on the last yeah. day. Um, and as I say, he killed in a car crash in September 97, just shortly before his 41st birthday. And the spoiler for Thistle this season, they finished seventh in the Premier League, but they were comfortably off their relegation places. So they, they were okay that season. Do you have any any recollections of Brian Whitaker? I do, I do remember him with the Thistle. And he only didn't play much for Celtic, but I remember mm. him at Celtic and, and with Hearts yeah. as well. Hearts in particular, I think. Yeah. Uh, he was a good, very good player. Yeah. Very good player. Um, that, was the, that, was the, that was the day that Hearts lost at Dundee yeah. and Celtic beat St Mirren. St Mirren. And five, five now, four now, five now. Five, five, yeah. And playing for St Mirren that day was current Scotland boss Stevie Clark. Right. Yeah, he was indeed because I went to school with him, so I used to follow his career. Yeah. Uh, he was a St Mirren player at that point. Rumours afterwards that he was in the bath with the Celtic players, but I'm told that's rubbish. <laughs> Get it uh, on the wiki. Get yeah. it on the wiki. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's. I mean, just. I, I don't want to. You know, because in case there's any Hearts fans listening, they don't want to, you know, exacerbate their pain too much. But can you imagine it? The last day of the season, right? That, you know, that that doesn't come along very often. No. That opportunity is that the kind of thing that you sort of live for as a sports broadcaster? Is days, days like, like that? that? Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. That was. I mean, I, I remember that day uh, very vividly. Uh, because I'll tell you why. Because that particular season, I was based in Edinburgh. I think I was. Studying at that point, why was I through there? No, I had a little job through there, and I was going to Hearts games on a Saturday because my girlfriend's flat was just around the corner, and I used to go to Tynecastle and pay my ten pound to get in, and I'd seen Hearts quite a lot that season, so I was convinced they were going to win the title. I think everybody was, to be mm. perfectly fair, and then of course they lost the title, and then a week later they lost the Scottish Cup at Hamden. They get gubbed three 0 by Aberdeen. Yeah. It was just—I don't think a lot of those players recovered. I think. Um, they lost. Craig Levine got injured towards the end, didn't I they? Think that you're was right. a big, mm-hmm. I think that was a big difference for them. Uh, also, oh. the story I, I, I'm sure I've heard. Um, it's Alex Ferguson's. Yeah. Yeah. About um, at Hamden. Yeah. Where Alex Ferguson told his players, "I'll go up to the the Hearts players and say, oh, 'Oh, you're unlucky. Sorry, but yeah, you know, <laughs> just get in their heads before they.' It's so yeah. Alex Ferguson. Um, okay, so we're moving on to page thirty-four here, and. Loads of Scottish content, so we've got Tartan Talk with John Gregg. So this is the one you mentioned. Remember Um, that. It says hardly a day goes by without someone complaining about Premier Division, about the Premier Division in Scotland. There aren't enough teams, or relegation should be scrapped, or the pressure is killing the entertainment. They're just some of the moans, says John Gregg. Three years since the Premier League was introduced, John Gregg tells shoot readers his thoughts on the new league structure. So he says it's far from the ideal solution to stop the crowds dwindling. Games tend to lose their appeal when teams face each other too many times. He also says that they could meet Celtic up to seven times across all competitions or more if there's replays. And he says overexposures can sometimes ruin a product. With so many, so few teams in the league, there's not much difference between the top and bottom teams. 
Managers and players say there's far too much pressure on them. Fans complain teams are frightened to express themselves. So relegation has put the fear into everyone. However, speaking for Rangers, I can't say we've been frightened to open up and play attacking soccer, which he says. There are teams, though, who have not adopted the same policy. He says some managers are more concerned about holding on to points before the game. And he goes on, the Premier could then backfire. Some bosses have campaigned to scrap relegation. Greg says that wouldn't be fair to teams competing for a promotion from the First Division. And then he finally appeals to the fans to give the system a chance, saying, your team needs your support. I mean, you could publish that every week for the last 20, 30 years, and a lot of that's the same. Um, Now, it mentions about one of the reasons um, the Premier League was... Was about the dwindling crowds, but I think I think part of that was because of the success Celtic had in the early seven, you know, the sixties through the early seventies, and it was yeah. just, you know, I think the crowds did start dwindling away, and they, they had to do something. But I think they also tried to make it a bit more competitive in that. Um, but it's, it goes on about with so few teams, there's not much between the top and the bottom. I don't necessarily think that's the case. You still got your the gap between the top and the gap between the bottom. Um, so I, I understand the reason for the, the Premier League and things like that. Um, I don't understand some of the the times we've changed it since then. Mm. The reason is behind it. Um, but I think we're at a p- pretty decent stage at the moment. And I'm, I'm not sure it could get any better at the moment, mm. to be honest. Um, I mean, you, you, you're reading from an article written in 1978. Yeah. And John Gregg's talking about dwindling crowds. Well, I remember mid-80s. Ibrox being deserted mm. for league games. Well, even looking at the the team thing, it was seventeen and a half thousand, and you're, you're probably talking about a lot less than that. Eight well, there was a midweek league something. game against Partick Thistle, uh, which Rangers played, and I th- I'm sure the crowd was less than eight mm. in a forty five thousand seater stadium. Yeah, uh, there were midweek games that Celtic played at Hamden that were half full. Yeah, you know because they had to play because the stadium was getting redeveloped mm-hmm. and. Hamden wasn't filling up. I mean, the crowds were down at one point. Um, I mean, I'd love to think we could have a sixteen-team top division, but I'm just not sure we can. Yeah. Uh, you look at you look at we've got the twelve at the moment, uh, and out of the twelve, probably three of them are just playing to stay up. Mm-hmm. Maybe four of them are playing to stay up, and then you've got Dundee United, who obviously are a class above everybody else in the championship this season. They weren't the last couple of seasons. Um, but then where do you go? I mean, Inverness, blow hot and cold. Dunfermline, dearie me. Uh, so could you really get 16? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think the main issue with the league as it is at the moment, and you would only resolve it by increasing it, is the number of times you play each other. I think four times. I, I've always said that if you play somebody at home, you play somebody away. When, they're, when you've got them at home, you make more as a fan. You make more an effort to go watch yeah. them, it, whereas you may say, "Well, I'll get them the next time." Mm. But then again, as you say, we don't have the teams that can have the quality to extend that and make it like that. So, you know, you're right. It's probably as good as it can be for the balance. Yeah, everything. The the league's a two team league, isn't it? Yeah, it's a two team league, and it's going to be for the next ten years mm. minimum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when was the last time? Was it? When was the last time there was a, an actual? It wouldn't have been Hearts. It, it was Aberdeen. 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 Ninety. Ninety. Ninety-one. Mm. Oh yeah. The yeah. game at the gate. The league yeah, went I, to the last I game at Ibrox. Yeah, yeah. mm-hmm. 
and was it Schnelders that bottled it? Right. Uh, it was it uh, Tio Schnelders? Can't remember which the, what the Aberdeen goalie was. Yeah, it was um, Watt that was in goals for that. Was it Watt? Because yeah. uh, Schnelders didn't want to play or something. Yeah, can't uh, remember the exact circumstances. I, I, I mean, thinking back to it, I mean, Hatley's header was absolutely fantastic. Oh yeah, the keeper got nowhere near it. Mm. Um, but there's also another result that day, which was even better, eh? Oh. So this would be the 7th of May 1991 It would be the yeah. Go on right, So Clyde Bryant beat Partick Thistle 7-1 oh. Final game of the season We idea. were there <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a big That was a big uh, result of the day As far as we were concerned <laughs> <laughs> Okay so We'll move on to page 39 And we've got An article on Celtic's Three Musketeers So this is about Alfie Conn Joe Craig And Tom McAdam and it says Celtic have had their fair share of problems this season, but they have still persevered to play football with attacking flamboyance and flair. They've produced a trio of talent who set about demolishing defences with all the skills of the latter-day musketeers. The combination has helped the fans to forget about Wonderboy Kenny Dalglish, or <laughs> have they really, uh, who left before the start of the season for Liverpool. I'll just stop there at that point. I don't think even today there's, there's people who have forgotten about Kenny Douglas, but I don't certainly. I mean, this is this is right after it, so hindsight's a great thing, isn't yeah. it? But um, yeah, looking back with hindsight, that's just a crazy statement. So Joe Craig arrived from Partick Thistle for sixty thousand. He managed to score in his Scotland debut before he even kicked a ball. Um, he came on as a sub and scored by a header before he'd actually kicked it. So that's a that's a pretty unique uh, claim to fame there. Uh, Scottish football was shocked when Celtic signed Alfie Conn, given that he previously played for Rangers. But he'd went to Spurs from Rangers for 135000 and then to Celtic for 65000 And he says, I will always be grateful to Mr Steen. I was out in the cold at Spurs and things looked bleak. Um, regarding Tom McAdam, he arrived this season and took a while to settle and he was brought in for 60000 from Dundee United. So the three cost a combined 185,000 and are proving to be three of Jock Steen's shrewdest buys. So again, with hindsight, you know, we could say that's not the case. Mm. So Joe Craig, uh, born Bridge of Allen. Uh, he had a spell shocky before he moved to Partick Thistle. Celtic, uh, Blackburn Rovers, a couple of years down there. And then he finished his career at Hamilton Ackies. And he's got that one... That one um, Scotland cap that we spoke about. So, one Scotland cap, first touch goal with a header. You know, that, you can you can hang up your boots and say, I did okay Absolutely. with that. That's a good return. Um, managing career, he only had he had a spell with Cowden Beath, but then he moved in um, coaching spells at Armadale Thistle and Airdrie. Alfie Conn was born in Kirkcaldy. and he started his career at Rangers, moved to Spurs, Celtic after Celtic. Derby County, he had a spell there, then Hercules, Pittsburgh Spirit, San Jose Earthquakes, Hartford Hellions, which uh, I think that must be Greece. Mm. Then he moved to Hearts, I remember him at Hearts. I remember him at Hearts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Blackpool and then Motherwell is where he's finished his career, so he's moved about quite a bit. And he got two Scotland caps. And as for Tom McAdam, who's born in Glasgow, he started his career... Local to here in Dumbarton, he spent five years at Dumbarton. Uh, he played 77 league games, scoring 30 goals. And Dundee United is probably where I remember him best from. Um, he was there for a couple of years 
and well, I, I probably actually remember him best from Celtic, but probably mm. about the same sort of level. So Celtic it was a seventy-seven to eighty-six, two hundred sixty-one games in the league, thirty-seven goals, and Stockport County had a spell after Celtic, Hamilton Aki's short spell. Uh, Motherwell between 86 and 89 and finished at Airdrie in 91. That's when he finished there. Um, so, spoiler for Celtic's season. Celtic finished fifth in the league at the end of that season, a point behind Hibs. So, it was Rangers in 55, Aberdeen in 53, Dundee United in 44, Hibs in 37 and Celtic on 36. So, that's, I mean, two points for a win in the, what, 19 yeah. points, 19 points off Rangers. That's That's a lot of points but the fact is you've got Aberdeen down United and Hibs in there as well Yeah. so as for the, the, the three musketeers that we're speaking about uh, Con played 17 games and didn't score a goal McAdam played 36 games and scored 10 goals and Craig played 32 games and scored 16 goals so between them 26 league game 26 league goals is probably the reason why they finished in 5th position there ok so just going to we have a our, um, our charity partner who we, we we work with and they're called Back On Side and what we do is we we have a donate button on the website for each podcast and for anyone who donates a pound we will it basically gets you a raffle ticket and with that we take 50% give it to the charity and 50% makes working these podcasts um, you know in the future and for the, the the raffle, you basically you get a goodie bag which will contain the original magazine that we've been talking about. It will contain a signed oversized copy of the magazine as well. And what we'll do is we'll throw in some goodies from the collection as well. So you may get some stickers or cards or some other magazines or photographs as well. But we'll make all that information on there. Um, so you can get that all online. But first I'm going to give you a bit of information about Back On Side and what they do. So here in the UK, one in four people will experience a mental health illness each year. Mental health includes a person's emotional, psychological and social well-being. An obvious widespread problem, yet it is estimated that only a quarter of sufferers receive ongoing treatment, leaving the majority of the UK population tackling these debilitating issues on their own. Here at Back On Side, we have recognised this ongoing dilemma and determined to rebuild a society where no young person or adult is left tackling mental health problems alone. So that's at Back On Side on Twitter. So follow them, give them all the support you can do. Give us, you know, if you find the donate button, we'll, we'll give that to you. Um, donate if you want. If not, just make sure you, you follow Back On Side and see what they're doing and help any way you can as for the Shoot the Breeze we have our own website and whenever we release the, the podcast we will try and create a page up about the stuff we've talked about it will include photographs and pictures and maybe links to videos and things that we've talked about so you can use that while you're listening along if you want and that's at shootthebreezepod.co.uk that's all one word shootthebreezepod.co.uk you can also follow us on Twitter at shoot. TB underscore podcast. Um, 
So please do that. And if you've enjoyed what you're listening to, tell your friends as well. Um, I'd also like to say a special thanks to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah, um, who lets us use the story of the blues for the music of the show, which is absolutely great. You can catch up with Pete on www.petewiley.co.uk. Um, you can check out details of upcoming gigs and music, etc. And lastly, we'd like to thank our producer, Diane Jardin, who is a, a Patrick Thistle supporter, so she always enjoys getting mentioned, um, Patrick Thistle mentions, even if it is Clyde Bank beating them 7-1. So we'd like to thank her for her great work and the support of the podcast. So please check her out at www.transmissionroom.co uk where you can book the music recording facilities and rehearsal facilities here in Clybank and on that I'd just like to thank uh, Tom for being Tom well be- before we go I know it's a bit oh. of an, an elegant link but we were talking off mic mm. about Davy Cooper right uh, Jim you said you'd be Davy Cooper sorry for us yeah it's a bit of a sad Davy Cooper story actually because uh, we all know the, the, the tragic circumstances Davy passed away uh, and he was at the time like I was working for STV or Scottish TV, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I was working for the evening news programme at the time, which was called Scotland Today. And Davy was working for Scotsport doing a, a coaching series. And they were filming it up at Clyde's Ground at Cumbernauld. Mm. And uh, the week before, uh, maybe 10 days before, uh, Davy and I had competed in a fun run. And after the fun run, we went back to wherever we were and we we started playing five so we had a little game of five aside so this was going really well we had a fantastic time and we came off and we were getting changed back into our kit and I said where's my shoes and of course Davy was just sitting there and I, I could not find my shoes and of course everybody was dressing away and eventually I discovered that Davy Cooper had hidden my shoes in a bin <laughs> and I was not happy about the fact that Davy Cooper had hidden my shoes in a bin and Davy Cooper and I had one major fallout mm-hmm. about my shoes being hidden in a bin and sadly for particularly me uh, we never made that up no. and uh, when Davy passed away uh, I was absolutely gutted that we'd never actually got together over such a stupid thing and sorted it out but uh, I miss him greatly yeah oh, great stuff I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure he would have he would have uh, I think well, you'll probably have forgiven me, but yeah, now. certainly would have. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself there. I'm, I'm just trying to think everything I have to say. And uh, what, what's going on with yourself at the moment? Are you? Uh, I am a columnist in the Scottish Sun. Uh, I do racing columns on a Thursday and a Sunday, and I do a two-page football spread on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm now in my tenth year on the Scottish Sun, which is quite remarkable they haven't found me out yet and uh, I do I do various other things I work for Hamilton Park Racecourse I work for Perth Racecourse uh, I've got various other interests in Ireland uh, I'm a resource owner and as I say for my sins I'm a season ticket holder at St Mirren <laughs> uh, so I'm pretty busy but uh, we never turn anything down and anybody who wants to get a hold of Jim Delahunt will okay great stuff I would say about because um, I'm not a betting man in the horses and things like that but sometimes I'm following you on Twitter when you have you know you give out these tips and then all these people oh it comes in it comes in. I'm like next time I'm on this because <laughs> you do seem to have a good rate well we do okay and I, I think you have to do okay or else you wouldn't be doing it yeah. um, but 
sadly, some people do just jump on the bandwagon and then suddenly find that you do actually have to lose now and again. Uh, they don't really like that. So that, you really, that, you, yeah. if you if you are going to have a bet, yeah. I'm not I'm not talking about gambling. I'm I'm just talking about having a bet. Yeah, uh, you have to realise that they don't always win. Mm-hmm. But we try we try and, and and make it as nice as possible for people, both on the horses and the football, and we try and put people in the right direction. There's not no such thing as inside information. Mm-hmm. People think you know I used to be a jockey. I'm, I'm I own horses now. There's no such thing as inside information. The worst tipsters are jockeys and trainers. I don't I don't phone anybody asking for a tip. Yeah. I do it all myself. It's all visually and weights and measures. And uh, if people want to follow what I think, then that's terrific. Uh, if they don't, that's equally fine by me. But uh, we try and push them in the right direction, mm. both horses and football. And I, I think the record shows we do okay. Yeah, good stuff. And obviously, gamble responsibly if you are going to do course. it. You know, make make it fun. Um, so on that, thank you, Tom, for thank being you. Tom. Thank you, Jim, for, thank for, you very for much helping indeed. us out. It's been great. It's been absolutely great. Thank you, Diane, in there, who's given me grief um, for the, the Partick Thistle thing. And anybody who's out here listening, thank you for listening. As always, you know, if you like it, tell your friends, pass it on, get it out there. And until next time, shoot the breeze. <laughs>